All right, well, we've got 17 minutes. I don't use, we can go home or I can preach and it's going to be about 7.15 when we get out. So I guess it's going to be 7.15. All right, so anyway, so so we want to continue. Now, first off, I want you to know this. Uh, I'm not on a roll with money sermons and oh, no, will you ever get off of this? But this is the tail end of our first message last week and it really is an important teaching and I certainly didn't want to just lay it aside and not use it. I considered it adding to the series and going extra week and then it seemed like an opportunity to share it tonight. So that's what I want to do. I want to share the second half of Dangerous Love. Now, if you've got your Bible app, okay, because we had it prepared, I adapted an event. So if you open your Bible app tonight and look under that more and under events, you should see a Sunday evening event that's got most of this in there if you want to do that. That is available tonight. Not going to do it all the time, but it is available tonight. Now, I'm going to start out with the introduction of the message, just re, re, you know, going over um, what some things we talked about last Sunday morning a week ago. First is this. Uh, this is kind of the tagline of the messages because I think it's very important. Um, I'm going to be very candid with you. Um, I'm not ashamed to preach about giving. I'm not afraid to preach about giving. Um, some people say, well, I know it's hard and sometimes it seems difficult, uh, but so is preaching about adultery. You know, those are some hard topics. But I want you to know that, that my heart is that we will learn to be better givers because I think when we're better givers, we're more like Jesus. Okay? But keep in mind what Andy Stanley said. You know, God is not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. Money is a very dangerous... The love of money is a very... In fact, money is just a dangerous thing because we don't handle it well. It's much easier to be poor than rich. Now, you won't hear it this coming Sunday, but you're going to hear it the Sunday after that. If you look around this room, it is filled with rich people. It is filled with rich people. Uh, just like we, you know, we, we don't like to be called prideful. For some reason, no one wants to be rich. Okay, but the problem is in America, we all are. So that's about two weeks out. Um, the love of money, I said that day, the love of money is like a piranha lurking just under the surface waiting to devour you. And that's still true. Okay, the love of money is like a piranha waiting under the surface just waiting to devour you. And the piranha does fine until blood gets in the water. And if, and if the, your cousin starts bleeding, your cousin piranha starts bleeding, you're going to eat him. That's just the nature of prana. And the nature of the love of money is that it will consume you. And I, I came up with this. And again, um, I got three things. Now, how many of y'all were in the 70s? Were you like growing up in the 70s? And yeah. Oh, there's a lot of you. Okay. Well, do you remember particularly like when, they, when people signed your, your, your yearbook? There were three versions that people used as a, as a closing statement. They would either luff you, L-U-F-F. They would love you, L-U-V, or they would love you. So you could love, love, or love, okay? And then there was a multiplier added to that, and that was ya and you, okay? So if a girl loved ya, that was the minimal. I mean, that means, okay, I'm signing your yearbook, I don't like you, but I'm going to sign your yearbook, okay? If you put love you, then you're up one level on that. And it progressed up. L-U-V got you higher on the scale. L-U-V, ya, and you. And then finally, finally, if you got to love ya, that was pretty good. But when a girl wrote in your yearbook, love you, man, you were like, you know, you know, Tom Hanks or somebody like famous, okay? And, and she really thought a lot about you. Well, that's, again, keep in mind about money. You know, it's not, like, it's not like you step off a cliff with the love of money, okay? You can love money, you can love money, and you can love money. 
You can L-U-F-F money, you can L-U-V money, and you can L-O-V money. Money's tricky, and it will sneak in under the radar, and you'll start having this affection for money, and it's always a very dangerous thing. Now, something else I shared that day was what Greg Laurie wrote. World changers see opportunities, but those who are changed by this world see obstacles. I like that. World changers see bridges, but those who are changed by this world see walls. And this is the part I added to his quote. World changers see money as a tool to be used in building the kingdom of God. And those changed by the world see money as a God to be worshipped. It's all in what you see. It's all in how you look. It's all in your perspective. And our goal as believers is that we see money as a tool to be used for the kingdom of God. It is not a God to be worshipped. All right? So this is kind of where we jump in now. Now, if you remember that day, we did 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 verse 7 and verse 6. Um, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is certain that we brought nothing into this world, okay, nor can we take anything out of this world. That was the sermon that day. And we jump back in now to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 8, okay? And here's where Paul says this. Now remember, Timothy is written to a young preacher boy, and here's what he says to that young preacher boy. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Now, this is one of those moments of epiphany for me tonight. You know, I was studying this thing, trying to get it down uh, for this evening. Um, and so I started studying. And this was one of those verses because I think about going, you know, I, I'm not sure I would be content with just food and, and clothing. I don't think I would be. I don't want to be a hypocrite and stand up and say, you know, you know that's, that's what all we should have. You know, we should sell our Apple watches. You know, yours has got to go. Mine's got to go too. You know, because we've got to sell everything, move to Montana, wear robes and chant. Okay? Then I realized, whoa, 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 whoa. What Paul is saying this, the subject is contentment. Okay? And what he's saying is, now listen, if all you had was food and clothing, with that you need to be content. What if? What if you didn't have the car you drive? What if God had not blessed you with the home you live in? What if you didn't have the labels that you wear? What if you didn't have the things, the stuff that you've amassed, okay? Would life be miserable for you? Paul is saying it should not be that way. That if all God gave you, if all ever God was going to give you with food and raiment, you should be content. He's not saying you have to be content with that. If you've got other stuff, you're not sinful because you've got stuff. You'll hear in two weeks where Paul said, God has given us all things to enjoy. So it's not simple to have stuff. But Paul is saying, hypothetically, if that's all you got, would you be willing to be content? And it goes back to that day, that epiphany moment that day for me was that content means an inner sufficiency, an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. And you remember what we said that day? Jesus is enough. If you buy a Mercedes Benz and live somewhere on top of a hill with a 5,000 square foot home, Jesus is enough. But if you live in the projects somewhere in downtown Chicago, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ and your clothes are ragged and torn, but you've got Jesus, Jesus is still enough. 
You know, enough does not count on the things of the world. Your enough is determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got to learn this. We've got to learn this. Jesus really is enough. If your neighbor has a lot and you don't, Jesus is still enough. If God has gifted you with a lot, you have a lot, but it's not, that is not what matters. What matters is Jesus is enough. So if we have food and clothing, if that's all we have, and you got Jesus, it's enough. Jesus plus zero equals everything. Jesus plus zero equals everything. It's bigger than our retirement. It's bigger than our plans. It's bigger than our toys and more than our stuff. Jesus plus zero equals everything. The psalmist in Psalm 84.10 said this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. In other words, the psalmist says, You know, I would rather spend one day in the presence of God than a thousand outside the presence of God. Jesus is enough. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in all the opulence of the tents of, of the wicked. I would, rather, I would rather be a doorkeeper at the house, a minimal job in the house of my God than dwell in the opulence of the tents of the wicked. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Religion is never enough. Church is never enough. Jesus is always enough. Amen? Amen? All right, so Proverbs 16, 16 says this. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Wisdom is greater than gold, and understanding is to be chosen more than silver. Now, that really doesn't mean a lot in the context I'm speaking tonight until you add Psalm 111.10. Psalm 111.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the track to wisdom is reverence of God. So when you go back then and you look at that and say, how much better to get wisdom, which is found by worshiping God, okay, by worshiping God, how much better than that is gold, than gold? I mean, having a fear and reverence of God, which leads to this wisdom, is better than gold and better than silver. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he said, therefore do not be anxious. And this is my second epiphany, by the way. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, now here's the key word, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now I know what he's saying is, that's how the Gentiles do business. But I just wonder if there's a different perspective here. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be worrisome about what we shall eat, what if he wasn't saying totally that, oh, wow, will I have supper tonight? Or what if he was saying, do I have to choose between steak and caviar? Don't be anxious about what you have to choose from. Um, what shall we eat or drink? Is it a choice between a fine wine, did I say it in the Baptist church, a fine wine or water? You know, or what shall we wear? Um, is, it, is it this label or is it that label? Don't worry about those things. Because it's funny because he says that's what the Gentiles seek. 
The Gentiles seek after things that and stuff that makes us feel better. Choosing what fancy food to eat, what fancy thing to drink, or what fancy thing to wear. That's what the Gentiles do. So rather, he says, your Heavenly Father knows you need these things, but seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all this other stuff is going to be added to you. Is that good? Is that good? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So we moved into verse number 9 in 1 Timothy 6. And I put call it the money trap. The money trap. Now, here's what he says. But those who want to be rich. Now, let's pause there. Okay? Because it's important to understand those who want to be rich. Here's how I worded it in my notes. Those whose priority is to be rich. Those whose passion it is to be rich. Those who are willing to sacrifice anything on the altar of more to get. That's the target of the money trap words. Those whose priority is to get richer. Those whose passion is to get richer. Those who are willing to sacrifice anything on the altar of more to get it. Those people, Paul says, fall into temptation. Into a trap. It's like an ambush. Ambush. It's like the bear trap. You remember the bear trap? The bear trap lays out, and if you come along, you're not watching what you're doing in the woods. They set it for a bear, but you stumble into it, and that thing, you hit that thing in the middle, and the clamps come up, excruciating pain and damage to your leg. It's like a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires. I don't know what Eve was thinking, thinking in the garden or seeking in the garden. All I know is, after the temptation, she saw the apple that was good to look at and looked great for food and seemed like something would make her wise. And she ate it. That is those whose passion, whose priority, whose sacrifice altar of more. That's what he's speaking about there. Many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people, Paul says, into ruin and destruction occurred to me was, how many people get my age? Uh, 65 or 45. Doesn't matter. And you look in your rear view, you know, what do you see when you look in the rear view mirror of your life? Do you see ruin and destruction or do you see lasting fruit? Do you see a highway strewn with bad decisions and bad priorities, uh, priorities and passions because you wanted more? Have your children suffered? Dads, have your children suffered? Hey, has your grandchildren suffered because you're so busy getting more you didn't have time for them? Has your marriage suffered, sir? Has, Ma'am, has your husband suffered because you're busy getting more? Paul says it plunges people into ruin and in destruction. This is dangerous stuff. If you're sensing a passion in my voice, it's dangerous stuff. You know, James wrote this, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, when we get to James chapter 5, we'll revisit this. But James chapter 5, verse 1, 
and says, look here, you rich people. Now, we've got to pause there again because James isn't speaking in general to rich people. If he did, again, he's speaking to all of us, okay? But he's not speaking to just rich people. Um, he's talking about the, hey, you've got to be richer people. Hey, you've got to have more people. He's talking about the ones up here in 1 Timothy 6, those who want to be rich, whose priority, whose passion, who will sacrifice anything on the altar of want to get more. Okay? Those rich people. Those got to be richer people. Those who've got to have more people. Here he says, Weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Well, what? What, James? Why? Well... You know that wealth you've got to have? The wealth you're counting on? Your wealth is rotting away. And those fine clothes? You've got to make sure you would never buy anything that didn't have the right label on it. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like this corroded treasure you hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Now again, keep in mind, it's not just the idea of rich. I want to say it again and again and again. Look around you. You're surrounded by rich people. All of us are. So he's not talking just to rich people. He's talking to the people that got to have more. He's talking to the people whose wealth is their God. And he's saying one day... You're going to come before a judgment and the very thing that you hoarded and had to have is going to testify against you. You remember the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of our lives, everything good and bad. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, and I'm kind of like, Andrew, I've got this small print. I usually, that's why I print this out because it's bigger. Here's what Jesus said. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So because we're Western culture and because we're all rich, that means we've got to be careful how kind of stewards we are of what God has placed in our hands. And that brings us down to dangerous love. Verse number 10. It says there, for the love of money. Now, you remember the misquote, right? People say, yeah, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. Is that what it says? No, money's neutral. Money is neutral. Money is not good or bad. Okay? However, we get in trouble where we start loving money. And that's when it becomes really bad, okay? So it's not money, it's the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, do you see something there that I thought was interesting? Okay, so I go to um, the nursery, and I know you sometimes buy roots of plants, okay? And, and sometimes, of course, it's already grown. But you may go and they say, hey, I'd like to grow a grapevine, Okay? Okay, so, so you go and you get a grapevine, and, and actually, because it's winter, you're going to get just a, basically you're going to get a root of a grapevine. And they tell you to go plant that grapevine, uh, that grape root, in the dirt, okay, water it well, and when it's warm, what's going to happen? It's going to grow, it's going to sprout, okay? Now, not the first year, maybe not the second year, but probably the third year, an amazing thing is going to happen, okay? 
you're going to see that thing produce what? Fruit. What kind of fruit? Grapes. Isn't that way it works? You plant an apple tree, you get apples. Peach tree? Yeah, y'all are smart. But look what this says. The love of money is a root. And it doesn't produce one kind of evil. It doesn't produce one kind of fruit. Do you see it? It is a root that produces all kinds of evil. In other words, when you allow that thing, the love of money, to take root in your life, you're not going to get a particular evil. It's going to impact... This is stinking good. It's going to impact your entire existence. If you allow the love of money to get rooted in your life, it's going to impact your children. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your character. It's going to impact your testimony. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. The love of money is a root that produces all kinds of evil. That's why it's so dangerous. Don't get enamored with money. It's a bad bedfellow. Y'all were expecting this load tonight, were you? <laughs> Somebody's going to come up and go, you really should preach that on Sunday morning. I tried. I ran out of time. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving, watch this, by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. You know what popped in my brain? Prodigal son. He goes to Daddy. He gets the means, he craved it, he got the means, and he wandered away from daddy and from his upbringing and from his faith. It's a dangerous thing because when you start craving money, don't be surprised if one day you find yourself a long way from your faith. Your roots will be there, but they're going to be roots of evil and not rooted in Jesus. He goes on and says this. They have pierced themselves, verse 10 still, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Boy, I look for an illustration. And you know what finally popped in my brain? Self-crucifixion. What other word can you think where it says, pierced themselves? He was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was crucified by Roman soldiers. How crazy would it be if you laid out on a cross and you took a hammer and began nailing your feet to the cross? Or you took your hands, this one, and started nailing. I don't want you to do this one. Self-crucifixion. Those who love money and are craving it, they've wandered away from the faith and they've experienced some twisted sort of self-crucifixion. A life of regret. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, fortunately, God's Word gives us two really good exhortations. Number one, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Keep guard. That, whenever you see that word keep, generally speaking, it's the word guard. Okay? Keep is guard. So keep or guard your life so that it's free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money. Guard yourself so that you'll be free from the love of money. Be satisfied. Be content. Let Jesus be enough. Let Jesus be enough. Be satisfied with what you have. That's a great solution for the love of money. If we can be satisfied with what we got, we probably won't be too tempted to fall in love with more and money. 
Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said. Who's he himself? Christ. The inner sufficiency. The Jesus is enough. Okay? He has said, money will fail you, gold will fail you, stuff will fail you, all will fail you, but I will never leave you or abandon you. Shoot that thing. Amen? That's good. That's good, I'm telling you. 1 John 2.15, the other verse, says this. Do not love the world. Same thing. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't become enamored with the world, the world system, the world views, nor be enamored with the things of the world. Now watch this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you're enamored with the world, if you're enamored with money, the question is, can you love the Father too? And the answer is, no. No. If you, and I mean, Jesus said, I mean, boy, the word is so crystal clear here. If you love the world, you can't love the Father. If you're in love with money, you can't love the Father. One of the things I remember from a long time ago now, what, 14 years ago, was the story of Terry Schiavo. Does anybody remember the story? Isn't that funny? It, it stuck in me. Okay. In 1990, Terry Schiavo went into a vegetative state. And they put her in a nursing home. And she was not on a respirator, none of that, but she had a feeding tube. And she stayed alive. And she stayed alive. And she stayed alive. And so finally, her husband... Michael, in starting about 2000, 2001, began to pit, petition the courts to remove the feeding tube so she could die, so she could starve to death. Y'all remember the story? How about that? I mean, it was in Florida. Maybe that's why. I don't know. If I was here. I wasn't there. And so they fought, they fought, they fought in the courts. And so finally, in March 31st, 2005, she dies. They removed the feeding tube and she starves to death. But here's what struck me, and that's why I want to use this illustration. Um, the husband was, again, the one petitioning to have the feeding tube removed. And here's what's ironic. At the same time, he was petitioning the court to have the feeding tube removed from Terry Schiavo in the nursing home. He was living with another woman. And so they asked him and said, what is this? You're saying you love Terry and you want her to die with dignity and at the same time you're living with another woman in her house. And his answer was, are you ready? I remember it like it was yesterday. I am just fortunate to love two women at the same time. Bull! And don't tell me the story about how you love God. I just happen to be in love with money because I'll probably let you say bull. It ain't possible, and nor is it true. So last verse is this. Run for your life. What's the answer, Dwayne? Run for your life. Verse number 11 says this. But you, us, but you, man of God, flee from these things. Flee from the love of money. Flee from the lack of contentment. Flee from those things. Run 
for your life and pursue righteousness. And boy, we could just preach a message on this. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So run from this stuff and run to the... See, it's not enough to run. You've got to run the right direction. Running in the wrong direction will just make you tired. Running in the right direction will make you victorious. So he says, run from this stuff and then run to this stuff. Okay? Now, there's a movie that came out, I think, last fall, I believe. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Anyone see that movie? Okay, Jurassic World was all about the dinosaurs. They, they took some DNA and made dinosaurs. And there's like, been like five movies, okay? And the last installment was Fallen Kingdom. Uh, I did not see the movie, by the way. Not saying that's good or bad. I just didn't see the movie. Um, however, I did see the advertisement on TV. And Owen Grady um, is the, uh, is the uh, character in the movie played by Chris Platt. Okay, and all y'all know Chris Platt. He's a famous actor. Okay, so in that movie, um, the dinosaurs get loose, from what I can tell from the TV commercial. Okay, you've you got to be going, is he on drugs or something? I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. Literally, I'm going somewhere. Okay? And so anyway, so in the TV thing, the, the, the woman, there's always a woman, the woman is in this clear ball thing, and it's like a little motorized car that looks like a, a clear ball. I guess you used to see the dinosaurs. And it's going along, and here comes Chris Platt, okay, Grady Owen, running like crazy, and he does the greatest job and what he does, he screams with everything he had, Run! It was really moving. It was really impactful. And I'm going to myself, I'm going, Oh my goodness, that's what God is telling us to do. He, he, we think this is a series that, let's hear him get this over because it really makes me uncomfortable talking about money. And God's looking down from heaven and in His Word and going, this is such a dangerous thing for my people. And Jesus would say, right, He did, through, you know, Paul wrote it, but, but God said it. Run. Run from these things. Understand the seriousness of the love of money. Understand an inordinate affection with money, how dangerous it is. And when you're running... Run toward these things, the righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Run to Jesus. Run away from stuff and run straight into the arms of Jesus. Hey, Gene, would you mind coming up just playing something? And I'm going to ask you to stand. I want you to stay seated. Because, man, this is, I know this is a crazy load to dump on a Sunday night. But, you know, God's never concerned himself with numbers. And you, God could take this truth and burn it in our hearts and change the world. Change our world anyway. You know, I wanted so badly. I'd, again, I don't even know how long the sermon was this morning because the clock broke. But, you know, I really wanted to make the analogy of the seed. This particularly is so true. These truths that we've been teaching on money, for some people, it falls on hard ground and doesn't mean anything. The birds come along to eat it, you know. Some people say, oh, this really makes sense, and they're going to try it. And things get hard. But some, for some of us, this is going to fall on good ground. And, and it's going to change the way we do business with God. 
It's going to change the way we do business with God and money. And that's my prayer tonight, that God has gathered his people together tonight to hear this message, to hear this message about danger. And we're going to burn it in our hearts. We're going to let that seed take root and say, God, I'm going to choose to run from the love of money and the affection for things and run into your arms. Jesus, I'm choosing you to be enough.